God tested Abraham, he said, take your only son, bring Isaac to Moriah, his life has just begun. Offer up a sacrifice of the lamb you deem most fair, bring Isaac to the mountain, then you must kill him there. Hebrew servant built an altar in the sky. He threw his son up on him, and he drew his dagger nigh. Then an angel of Jehovah called to Abraham on high. You proved to God you're worthy. Take your son, you need not die. Come to the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Tell me, brother, tell me, what would you have done if God required the sacrifice of your only precious son? If Jesus came among us through his Father's plan on high, he saved this world from darkness, God's precious son did die. Come to the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Come to the mountain of the Lord. Let's, let's begin with prayer. So would you pray with me this, this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, God, and, and we just look to you for your words. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts, open our, open our minds, open our hearts, Lord, to truly bring in what you want to say to us this morning. We ask, God, that you would bless us now and guide us in your precious name. Amen. Well, the title of my sermon today, as you can see, is Overcoming Selfishness. And uh, selfishness, according to Paul, robs us of our joy. And you think of, um, I, the first thought that came into my mind was Scrooge. And how he th- found so much joy, he thought, in possessions. And he just couldn't get enough. And, and he, everybody else was miserable around him in Scrooge's selfishness. But when Scrooge found true joy is when he laid it down and he began to understand what it meant to give and what it meant to live a life of a servant. Last week we talked about our circumstances and uh, how we end up in trials so many times and how we need to get a new perspective in those circumstances, or in other words, how we are to get God's perspective in our lives. We looked at the Apostle Paul, and, and just briefly, just so we can lead into this message, um, remember Paul, Paul was severely flogged. He was put in prison for two years. He was shipwrecked. He was stranded on an island. He was bitten by a poisonous snake, put back in prison for two years, chained to a new Roman soldier every four hours awaiting his execution. And looking at all his circumstances, Paul rejoiced, and he was excited about how God was going to use this to further the gospel. 
And it's that type of perspective that I pray that we, we can all get a grasp of a little bit better today. We also talked about how discouragement is like a universal disease and comparing it to a disease. Everyone catches discouragement. We also understood that it's a repeating disease, that it's something we get over and over again, but it's also something that's contagious. And when we're discouraged, we tend to bring other people down with us unless we get out of that um, downward spiral of discouragement leading to depression. And this is where we need to ask ourselves these three questions that we brought up last week. That when we face discouragement, are you living with God's perspective in your life? Secondly, are you living with God's power in your life? And third, have you stopped living with Christ's purpose? Remember the words of Paul in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the perspective that you and I are to have as Christians. And then we concluded chapter 1 with these three thoughts from Paul. First one was we need to stand firm. We, put, we need to put our faith in the one and only omnipotent God. We shouldn't waver at the first sign of discouragement or trials, but we are to stand firm as believers. Next, we are to stick together. We're not to go it alone. We're, we're supposed to be involved with one another. We're supposed to be in fellowship. That's God's plan, and that is God's desire for every single one of us. And third, we need to stay confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And God's promises are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that when he makes a promise to us, it will be kept. Today we're moving into chapter 2, and we're going to look deeply at ourselves in assessing that we are truly called to imitate Christ's humility in our lives. Or are we getting caught up as you think about your life in selfish ways and prideful ways. So let me ask you, do you believe that we have a selfish nature? And the first thought that came to my mind as I think about babies. As sweet as they are and as adorable as they are, they're consumed with their own needs. When they're hungry, they cry. When they're tired, they cry. When they have a dirty diaper, they cry. That's the way we're all wired. That's, that's just the way we are. We are consumed with ourself right at birth. We are born thinking only of what affects us. Then what about as we mature, as we become teenagers, or as we become adults? Hopefully we become less selfish. Hopefully we think more like Christ. We think about the needs of others and how we can serve. But unfortunately, some people don't. Instead of choosing to become less selfish and maturing in Christ, some folks choose to keep their faith on a pretty low level. They concentrate on their needs. They like what's comfortable. They don't like being uncomfortable. They like knowing that what they have is theirs and they feel safe in their environment. So I have a little video to show you. It's just a cute little video on how continuing down that path of selfishness and not wanting to mature in your faith is a very, very bad thing. So I hope you will enjoy this. Um, this video is about a man named Johnny. And I think it should be there pretty. It'll be coming shortly. This is what you do not want to be like. The Johnny tends to struggle with 
wanting to mature in Christ, definitely. Good morning, Reagan. Good morning. Good morning, Madison. Good morning, Johanna. Good morning, Johnny. People are always asking me why. Why do the same thing every year? Why not move on? But I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Johnny? Present. I'm comfortable. I know the routine. And I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty popular around here. I do really well in sports. I'm just very successful yes. here. Why would I go and mess that up by graduating? A B. But I mean, C in the first grade, I may not know all the answers. D. D. D dog. E. The hours are longer. I hear they don't even have nap time. I mean, I just don't see the upside. Then first grade leads to second grade, second to third. It's really good. Then you're in high school reading boring books with no pictures. Three, four, five. But he was still, still hungry. Next thing you know, people expect you to get a job and give up summer vacation. <laughs> no, sir. I think I found my niche. Thank you very much. Home sweet kindergarten. Besides, I mean, what if I failed first grade? How humiliating would that be? Just don't think I could handle that kind of embarrassment. That was not a good choice. Very disappointed. <laughs> Pretty cute and funny video, isn't it? But in real life, it's not so funny, is it? You know, if we choose to, to stay in, in, a, in a very kindergarten type of faith, that kind of kindergarten faith for Johnny seemed pretty comfortable. He didn't have to face the world. But I can guarantee you this, that that is not God's plan for our lives, to stay in that type of a faith. Scripture is extremely, extremely clear that God wants us to mature in Christ. There's no question about that. So I'd like us to turn to Philippians 2 and begin with verses 1 through 4. And this is, this is an introduction of what Paul is going to tell us today. So we're going to begin with verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, that's our calling. We are to be united in Christ as fellow believers. We are to be like-minded with Christ and have the same love that Christ had. And if we know, as we know from Scripture, what that love meant for Jesus. And then next we are told in the next two verses, 3 and 4, what destroys our witness and what we should do instead. And then Paul goes on to say, if you have any encouragement from being united... Oh, I'm sorry. Verses 3 and 4. Tim, could you head to that? Thank you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then verse 
5 tells us what our attitude should be like. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's pretty plain and simple. That's exactly what our attitude should be like. Then Paul goes on to give us three examples of how to live an unselfish life in a very, very selfish world. He begins with the greatest example of all, and that is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we read about that in verses 1 through 18. But then Paul goes on to give us two other great examples of unselfish, humble servants who models their life, of course, after Jesus Christ. He tells us of Timothy in verses 19 through 24. And then he tells us, and I love this name. if If we had another child, I would name him this. Epaphroditus. In verses 25 through 30. Isn't that a great name? Epaphroditus. Listen to what Paul says of Timothy in verses 20 through 22. I would love if if someone would say this about me in my life, especially someone like Paul. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interest, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. See, Paul considered Timothy almost like a son to him in how he was serving and and being a servant to the work of the gospel. Timothy was known to be faithful. He was known to be consistent. And he was a man of integrity. And then we see what Paul says of Epaphroditus in, in verses 25 through 30. And Paul says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And what, what the Philippians had done, they, they had heard Paul was in prison. And they, they took up an offering, and they wanted someone to carry that offering to Paul and to encourage him. So they chose Epaphroditus out of all the church, out of all the leaders. And it wasn't just an easy journey. You're not just thinking of walking across uh, town or going to Halleck to, to the jail to give Paul some money and to encourage him. Epaphroditus had to walk 800 miles on foot in some very rough terrain. And the chance of being robbed was, was, was there. The chance of being injured was there by wild animals. But Epaphroditus was the man that they chose. Timothy and Epaphroditus had Christ-like qualities that you and I should desire as Christians. It was really obvious to Paul, and it was definitely obvious to the rest of the church, because those were the men that they chose. So let me ask you this. How does a person become like Timothy and Epaphroditus? How do we become like that in our lives? Or even more so, how can we become like Christ, who served in such a way that he would take and lay down the crown as God, as God's son, and pick up a basin of water and wash his disciples' feet? And I'd like to share with you a true story about, about two little boys that I'd heard not so long ago. And there, there were these two young, two young boys. They were brothers, ages three and five. And I shared this with my confirmation class. The three-year-old was diagnosed with cancer. And the only hope of survival was given to the family was a bone marrow transplant for this young boy. And the five-year-old brother turned out to be the only match. And the parents struggled incredibly hard with this decision because they knew the risk that it would take that they were not only putting their 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 first son who was struggling with cancer they would be putting their second son at risk as well 
So they decided one, one day to ask their son, who was five years old, would you be willing to give your brother your bone marrow in a transplant? And their five-year-old quickly said, yes, I will. I'll do that. And when the date was set, during the preparation for the transplant, as the boys were laying on the tables and the, tra- and the transplant was beginning to take place, the five-year-old looked up at his mom and dad and he said, so mom, when is it that I die again? You see, he was so convinced that when the transplant was complete and his bone marrow was gone, his little brother would live and he would die. This young man truly understood what it meant to live a life at such a young age of a living sacrifice, of humbling himself and totally being unselfish to his needs, but looking to the needs of his little brother. How does a person get to the point of that? of being that unselfish? How does a person get rid of pride that goes hand in hand with it? And why is pride and selfishness such a big deal to God? When you think about it, why why is it such a big deal to God? And I have just five examples of what I feel pride does to us. First of all, pride makes us unteachable. I think that's on the next slide, Tim. Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't read far enough. Okay, the next one. The next one. <laughs> there we are. Pride is unteachable. Pride blinds us to our own faults. Pride causes us to refuse to reconcile when there's been conflict. Pride can destroy our witness. And obviously, pride is a sin. Pride is what made Satan fall. Pride is what brought sin into the world. And on the next side, I I like what C.S. Lewis says about pride. He said, pride is the mother hen under which all other sins are hatched. That is such a good, as you think about that. Pride is the mother hen under which all other sins are hatched. The way to fight pride and selfishness is with a life totally surrendered to the Lord. And that is the only way that we are to clothe ourselves as scripture says, with humility. So let's look at Christ as obviously the greatest example of living a life of humility. So I'd like to turn to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. And Paul says about Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what was the result of this? What was the result of Jesus doing this? And we see that in verses 9 through 11. And it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that, Je- confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory of God the Father. And I'd like to just bring you with one last thought that Paul tells the Philippians that they are to be on guard against other than selfishness. And we find it in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 15. And Paul tells the Philippians, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. 
I love that line. Complaining is such a huge thing in our lives, and, and we all have a tendency to do it, don't we? We get caught up in our struggles, we get caught up in discouragement, so we complain. And we are not to complain. I can think of four ways, as I thought about the message, that complaining can harm us in our walk with Christ. So if I could have you go to the next slide, Tim. Number one, complaining is totally counterproductive to serving our Lord, and it does damage our witness. And I thought of a kind of a funny story, but it wasn't, it's not so funny when you think about it. Depends on where you were, if you were in the first car or the second. But there was this guy that was stuck on interstate in heavy traffic, and he was in California, and he could not get his car stall, or started. He had the hood up, and he, he was working on it feverishly. Behind him, there were cars honking and guys screaming, saying, move that junk off the road. And finally, after a few minutes, this guy just so distraught, he calmly walked back to the guy in the car right behind him, who was not being very nice. And he said, I'll tell you what, he said, would you help me? And he said a very nice voice. He said, would you go up and try to start my car? Then I'll stay back here and honk the horn and scream at you. (laughs) He didn't have the right attitude, did he? That's something that we need to guard ourselves against, whether you're in the first car or the second. Next is complaining is a hard habit to break. Have you ever met someone that is almost addicted to complaining? I have. And I have just a couple examples of things that um, just kind of caught my ears. Say you had someone come up and say, you have such a cute baby. And you would say, yeah, but she'll be a teenager someday. Or the next one, I love your flowers. Your place is gorgeous. I love all these beautiful flowers. And then you would respond, yeah, they're beautiful now, but they're going to die. And I'm just going to mess up the house, and I'll have to carry them out. And then third, complaining also blocks our godly character development. When we complain, we are not allowing God to do his work in our lives. We are not allowing God to bring us to the state of maturity that we are called, called to. When we complain, we are not listening to what God is trying to tell us. And even though when we think about these funny stories and we think about the humor that's in them, there's a lot of sadness in it. And there's a lot of truth in it because I see it in my own life. And I catch myself doing that. And I have to be on guard, as Paul tells us, that we need to be on guard against that. And then four, godly or complaining destroys the spiritual atmosphere and it brings tension to our homes, brings tension to our relationships, even to fellowship of believers. It brings tension to our churches. As Paul says, and I'll say it again, we are to guard ourselves against it. In other words, do not complain, but put on the attitude of humility, the attitude of a servant. So in closing, I'd like to leave you with these thoughts. Let's set aside our selfish ways and prideful hearts. Let's guard our hearts from complaining. Let's all take on the very nature of a servant. Help us to think about that we need to set aside our crowns as as children of God, as brothers of Jesus Christ, lay them down and pick up a washcloth and a basin of water and sit down and wash one another's feet. 
Let's humble ourselves and be obedient to our Lord. And yes, obedient, even like that wonderful little five-year-old boy being willing to give up his life for his three-year-old brother. Let us be like Timothy and be faithful and consistent and full of integrity. Let us be like Epaphroditus and be the ones who can be trusted with everything, carrying the word of support and encouragement to the world. And finally, as Paul said in Philippians 2.15, let us become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. And let us shine like stars in the universe. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, you, you speak to our hearts about joy and how we are to laugh and, and to be filled with this love, God, that you have provided for us. And yet, Lord, there's many times we get caught up in complaining. We get caught up in prideful ways. We get caught up in selfishness. And, Father, we ask this morning that you would forgive us. We pray, Father, that as we come to you, that we would, we would come to you with the heart of a servant, with the very nature of a servant, and ask, what can we do, Lord, for your kingdom? Help us to not waste a day or an hour or a moment, Lord. Help us to take seriously your call in our life. And Father, we just praise you for this. We praise you for the love of a Savior who was willing to die for us. We just ask God that you would bless our time together. Lord, as we fellowship now and as we come to you, Lord, to discuss the business of your church, Father, we belong to you. This place belongs to you. And we ask that you would give us wisdom. Father, we just thank you, and we pray that you'd guide us as we go from here today. In your precious name, amen.